Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. No, okay. So going back, I am uh, I am not a soccer fan, but it seems like Missouri like soccer's that soccer and hockey are like the in things. So I have patients and people at work asking me if I'm watching soccer, but I couldn't tell you the first thing about soccer. But it seems like I need to learn a little bit more because it seems like a big deal right now. Yeah, I mean it's huge. Um, I will tell you that in between patients. Um, like our, our lunch break kind of coincided with the first half. And then I was watching the second half of the game today in between patients. And it was the most hand wringing experience that I've had watching sports in a long time. <laughs> uh, so yeah. And, and what's fun is that anytime they score a goal, the place that they show on national television is uh, power and light, which is in Kansas city. So that's kind mm-hmm. of a fun thing because um, so, they always do a huge watch party. So, so, yeah, so it's, give me, it's, give me it's a, super fun. So Kansas give, City and St. Louis both have just a really cool uh, soccer culture, which I wasn't really familiar with before I moved here either. I was just going to have you give me an update. Like what, what are the, the 30 second cliff notes of like what I need to know about what's going on in soccer? This is like the world series of soccer or something. I literally do not know more than that. What do I need to know? <laughs> uh so uh, we are past the group stage, which is like a round robin tournament for all these uh, teams from around the world. The U.S. has made it out, uh, which is a big deal for us, uh, especially not having made the World Cup the last time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a lot to prove. We've got a super young team. And so I think the future's bright, right? Uh, I think it's something where hopefully this gets a lot of people engaged so that uh, whether we make a long run this year or not in four years, we're going to be really good. So it's really nice. a good time to be a fan of USA soccer. Cool. That's what I need to know. I like it. Well, uh, you might've, uh, peaked me enough tomorrow at the office. If we've got some soccer going, I'll, I'll pull an Aaron and just turn on, you know, something on the computer in between patients. Plus, uh, I feel like half my schedules already fallen apart as I'm sure you probably had the same thing, but it seems like every kid in the world is sick right now. So like I had about 40 some kids on the schedule like five days ago. And then I look tomorrow and it's like cut in half. Like it's, I don't know if it's bad where you're at, but it's crazy right now. No, it's nuts. I mean, we, uh, we have a schedule that's full and then we have a schedule that falls apart. And then my amazing scheduling team gets us back to full and then we're back to falling apart. (laughs) I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's Sisyphus, right? You're just rolling that rock up the hill. Mm-hmm. But it makes for good, uh, in a strange way. I almost kind of like those days because it gives you a little bit of, um, a little bit of control for same day scheduling, which I don't know if you do a lot of yes. that, but it, you know, it's kind of nice. Like if you get a kid with a bunch of stuff going on and they're cooperative instead of saying, Hey, I'll see you in two months for my next op appointment. Like, hell you're here. Like, let's get this done. And then you've got all this time and you can just knock out like a quad or two there. And it just, it feels productive and you make, you know, it's, you're able to take a little bit of control back on the day. So that's always a bonus of a day falling apart. You can do more same day. It's so true. Um, you know, because a lot of times there are these kids, especially, you know, like with the topic that we're going to talk about with Medicaid, it's like, sometimes it's hard to find a time that works for everybody to get back, right? Like people getting off of work and like working with our schedule, like it can be challenging. So like, if you have the ability to be flexible, 
oh man, that really goes a long way for people. It doesn't always work out, but, uh, but when it does, it, it's a great feeling for everybody. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I talk about it a lot, but I've recently had a few uh, Amish families in and one of them, um, like a a couple weeks ago I had in and the little girl had a bunch of cavities and it would have been a really good one to do same day, but the rest of the schedule was slammed. It was like a a busy day. And so I wasn't able to do it. And the mom, you know, I just, I felt bad. I was like, yeah, be nice to have a little bit more time to work in for those things. But it's just a fine line. You walk where you want to stay busy. You want to keep seeing as many kids as you can and do recalls and then try to leave slots here and there for emergencies. But, um, you know, there's only, you only have so many man hours. You can hold a handpiece in the day and you just try and do the best with what you got, I guess. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, especially for us here in Missouri, um, you know, we have an awful lot of patients that need care and not necessarily always a lot of us providing it. And so you'd beat your head against a wall uh, trying to fix the problem, so to speak. Um, it's, you know, one of the reasons that I really love doing advocacy is that I feel like there's never going to be enough of me, right? There's never going to be enough of my hands working with a handpiece. Uh, so if I can make and help make good policy changes to help make people's lives better and lower the rate of disease, uh, through an epidemiologic kind of standpoint, then man, that's, that's winning with a capital W. So, you know, I get to do that uh, in my clinic every day. mm -hmm. That's very, uh, broad thinking of you, which I, uh, I applaud because I, I, a lot of people, including myself, don't think that way where it's just, you show up to work and you're in the trenches and you're just like, how can I fix as many teeth as possible in these eight hours? Whereas like you, we need people like you to step back and look at things from a big picture standpoint. It's like, all right, how can we like tweak this whole machine to do this whole thing more efficiently? So, um, for the silent majority back here, like I'm, I'm glad that there's people like you who spearhead these big projects and eat the elephant for us so that I can just stay in my little bubble of Troy, Missouri, trying to do my thing. So it's cool that we're going to get into the details, but if I don't say it later on the podcast, I appreciate all the things you do to kind of make some of these changes we'll talk about. Yeah, no, it's, uh, not only my pleasure, but it is definitely like, it's a, it's a part of who I am. And I, 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 I don't know what I would do if I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Why don't we um, step back here and tell me what's going on in the Kansas City area? Because I know we we briefly got to meet in person, uh, I think at AAPD this year and said hi and, and have talked at some virtual meetings. But um, I, I don't know where exactly you're at at Kansas City because I'm not super familiar. Tell me about like the practice you're at. I don't know if you're in Kansas City proper or if you're kind of more in a bedroom community like I am. But just well, tell me about the practice scene where you're at over there and what you got going on. Sure. So. Um... You know, for those that might be listening from around the country, Kansas City is kind of an interesting location because you have half of the metropolitan area on the Missouri side and you have half the metropolitan area on the Kansas side. And so I live and practice on the Missouri side. Um, So I practice in a like inner ring suburb uh, called Gladstone. And then I also have a practice, like I'm actually the primary dentist at our other practice, our second location, uh, which is kind of an outer ring suburb called Liberty. Uh, And so we're both kind of north, like north side of town. um, But, you know, we kind of serve same but slightly different populations. I would say my Liberty practice is mostly suburban, but then also a, a 
a fair part rural, maybe 45% rural, because we're bringing in patients from kind of northern tier bedroom communities that are maybe 45 minutes to an hour outside of Kansas City. There's no pediatric specialists up, out there, uh, particularly not very many that take Medicaid. And so we bring in people from that kind of catchment area. So we have a lot of people from Liberty proper, which is growing, which is great for us. Uh, but we also bring in patients from kind of all over the place. And the same is true for our Gladstone location, like a lot of patients right around the practice. But then we also, uh, as the main Medicaid referral for a lot of people, like we will, uh, we'll see people that are coming from two or three hours away because there's nowhere else for them to go uh, kind of in that Northwest corner of Missouri. Mm -hmm. So that, that, the way you just described that practice sounds a lot kind of like my patient population. So it sounds like because of that, you obviously see uh, how much Medicaid would you say you're seeing at that practice? Um, you know, the, the Northern practice there that you're primarily yeah, it, Sure. So it, it kind of oscillates uh, year to year. Um, and we, I think we're probably going to consider taking a bit more uh, in the upcoming year, but we take like 40% of our practices, Medicaid, uh, currently. And then with the new fee schedule coming on, that will at bare minimum stay the same. Uh, mm -hmm. And it has the potential for bumping up a, a point or two. Um, I mean, I think that I'm really fortunate to be with a group of doctors that we all have a very similar ethos and philosophy. Uh, as far as like, we're all very committed to the idea that we're here to take care of our whole community, right? And so for us, that has meant and will always mean that we take uh, Medicaid. Uh, and so so for us, I mean, that's a no-brainer. And I know that for a lot of people, that might sound like kind of a crazy thing, um, particularly before like we just got a, a, a fee increase. And so we're super stoked about that. And I'm sure we'll chat more about like how that came to be. But, mm -hmm. um, but that was, I mean, that's just a huge part of who we are. And I, I can't stress enough for people that are listening that might be thinking, Hey, you know, like I'm in residency and I'm going to come out, uh, or maybe I'm planning to move like the philosophy of the people that you work for, uh, if you're going to be working for someone or even the philosophy that you want to craft, if you're going out to start your own thing, that philosophy matters almost as much as what you can do with your hands. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, because that's what generates how, um, burnt out or not, I think you will get. It's so much easier to get burnt out with something that you're not on board with their philosophy. Um, and I feel really fortunate to to have found a really good uh, set of doctors. So there's three of us, pedo, and then one one general practitioner who sees our teenagers. And we all have a very similar philosophy about how we want to do things. And that is the best thing that I've been involved with uh, since I since I graduated. Sure. Uh, tell me, you know, this is a, I, I think we had talked about how we might discuss this a little bit, but a lot of the guests I have on and conversations we have, it's very startup heavy just because that's kind of the path that I went down. But, um, I don't spend enough time talking about like good associateships in like a well-run group practice, even though that's the majority of pediatric dentist practicing is that shift more towards, you know, developing a, a good group practice. And so maybe just like, tell me a little bit more about like, um, the details that like how long you've worked at that practice, um, like what's your schedule look like? What are, you know, cause I think you said you're associating there, but just tell me like about your associate lifestyle and like how that works. And like, if you have plans for buying in later, or if you kind of, um, 
value some of the associate, you know, I've kind of talked about how there's a lot of benefits to being an associate that maybe don't get highlighted once you become an owner and have all those stresses. Mm -hmm. So maybe just, let's just talk a little bit about like, I guess, tell me a little bit about your practice and your, you know, the way that you're practicing in your group practice a little bit more. Sure. So, um, my wife's an academic, uh, dentist. So she's a, she's a pedo, she's a pedo PhD. So she's at the dental school here in Kansas city. And so that was really the reason why we moved down here. Mm -hmm. Um, the beautiful thing about what we do in the private practice world is that there are kids, they are everywhere and everyone needs one of us. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we're very portable. And with that in mind, um, ownership wasn't all that interesting to me purely because, you know, like academics, uh, you can be somewhere for 25 years or you can be somewhere for five or 10. And there just was too many variables for me to feel comfortable owning or starting a practice. And so associateship was what felt right for me. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, like I just said a little bit earlier, is that I really was looking at when I was interviewing for jobs, I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me. Uh, because I wanted to know that the philosophy of the place that I was going to go was going to be a place that I could relatively fit into without having to change who I wanted to be as a, as a doctor. And so I think that for me was the, the crux of choosing the practice that I'm at now. Uh, and it's like having that be the reason and kind of how I made decisions has worked out really well for me. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, nothing is, I think when you're not the boss, there's always things that you would say, Hey, maybe I would do this differently. But the thing that I do really enjoy about it is that my boss really respects me. He really respects the other doctor that is also an associate, um, and the GP as well. And so he brings us into all the decisions. He respects our, uh, input and he uses that input to then make decisions. He does not make decisions unilaterally on his own. And so that's really something that to me means a lot that he values what I have to say and what I think about. Uh, because in the end, we're all trying to give our patients the best possible experience. Um, so that's, you know, for, for me, that was kind of how I decided on this practice. As far as my day, um, I think just like a lot of people around the country, I wish that we had more over time. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> what we need and what I really like doing. Um, so I don't do as much OR as I would like to do, uh, and as much as we need to do, but I'm in the clinic four days a week, uh, with a surgery day, one to two times a month, depending on how much time I can get. Uh, and then my schedule isn't overly huge. Uh, it's, uh, one to two columns of hygiene and a column of operative. And then there are days where we've kind of split up our operative and then we'll do two days a week full hygiene. So I'll just do hygiene on those two days. And then I do operative and hygiene on the other two days. And I will tell you right now, that is, I mean, the best thing we did that during COVID to kind of try to keep our numbers up. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been amazing. Like those days are so much more fun for me because where I get to just actually talk with parents, I get to like all the stuff that we're taught to teach people, I actually have the opportunity to do that because I'm not running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So uh, that's worked out really well. And I love that. Uh, and it also then gives me time to spend time with my operative patients where I don't feel like I'm having to like sprint around as much on those days. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like to your point, dentists don't do a great job like 
all the rest of the business world likes to do like things at like times and put things together. And I've always thought that you could run a good, efficient schedule by doing these. This is a dedicated hygiene day and this is a dedicated op day, which I'm starting to experiment with a little bit. And instead, we just try to smash as much into one day and just run around like crazy and get behind. You know, it seems to be the trend as most dentists. But like, so for example, this upcoming Thursday, I initially had it off to go deer hunting. Well, I already shot a, my deer that I was after this year. So I was like, well, I should go and work that day. So I opened it up. But what we did was we just did two columns and I, I looked, I looked and I said, am I more behind on recalls or am I more behind on restorative and my restorative is booking out a long way. So we are just doing like a two column, like smashed op where we just, I'm running two big, heavy columns of ops and going to knock out, you know, 15 ops or some, you know, nice amount of ops in a, a day and get caught up. But, um, it just goes back to your yeah. point. Like it's nice when you're not feeling pulled in different directions, you can focus on just one thing. It seems like a productive way to do things. So that's cool. I like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, what I experienced when we moved to that schedule is just a lot of mental freedom, right? Because on days where I'm not doing ops, it's like, okay, now I can have an extra cup of coffee. And I know that I can spend a little bit of extra time talking with this parent or that parent about, uh, you know, about a, about an issue or doing real nutrition counseling, which we all used to do as residents. Right. Uh, but when you're in practice, you often don't get an opportunity to really do that, to really delve into how can I actually make your child more healthy? How can I help you like really actually help you? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that, like, I want to meet you where you are and I get a chance to actually do that on those days where, I mean, let's be serious. If you're doing op and three columns of hygiene, you're looking at teeth and you're letting your staff do the rest. And that's fine. Like, but there is real power in having the doctor take the time to come and talk to you. I think that really means something to people. Um, we all have great stabs and I, I do too. And I'm proud of my staff, but like, there just is something about having the doctor actually get some real time with people. And I, and I like that a lot. Yeah. Aaron, I'm, I'm smiling and laughing to myself because, uh, I, I started thinking, you know, what is the extent of my oral hygiene counseling and, you know, my, um, carries risk assessment and dietary analysis discussion. It's, I pretty much say the same thing at that first appointment. I go, mom, like at two, three, four years old, like I'm fixing a lot of juice and chocolate milk cavities. Are we taking juice and chocolate milk to bed? And about half of them say yes. And I'm like, okay, let's just focus on that. It's like either fruit snacks or juice. And I try to condense that whole big, long conversation down into about 20 seconds to pick one key point. All right, we should probably get away from juice and work towards me a Mio squirter. Let's get the chocolate milk just to breakfast and lunch. But you know, I just pick a couple things, but it just goes back to your point. Like in, in the real world, it's hard to set aside that time. And we all just kind of like for better, you know, we kind of just half ass it to fly through it for the sake of, you know, keeping up with the schedule, but very valid point there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, and listen, you're not wrong. Cause I mean, I think the other thing that I remember when I was a resident, I had some faculty that really wanted me to like hit all of the points all at once. And I said, you know, I, it's really hard for me to believe that this family is going to think to themselves, oh yeah, I'm going to remember all 12 things he just said. Like, mm -hmm. The reality is like what you're talking about, Casey, they're going to remember one or two things. And so I, I do try to do the same thing that you're talking about. It's like, I try to like identify what the largest problem is, right? right. Not just right. like in the operative space, but in the like prevention space. And then I try to build them up a little bit around that 
empower them to be able to say, you have the opportunity to make a really good choice here. And then you can actually do it, you know, and, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but it just, what's cool is that when you do get that really engaged parent that does want to ask more questions, then you actually have the time to do it, you know, cause there are an awful lot of people that are like not really caring about what we right. say. They think exactly. that these th- like 20 minute visits every six months are somehow going to save their child's teeth. <laughs> when in reality, we all know that that's not going to happen. Like right. what really the magic is what we give you for then you to implement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I, I uh, a lot of times too, if I can identify that one thing I've got, I use open dental, but there's a little white box under the patient chart. And that's like my key points white box. So I tell my assistant like, okay, like mom has a history of cavities, kid takes juice to bed and, uh, we're not using a fluoride toothpaste. Those are things like make a note of that. And that's like, I, I have those key points where then I, at the recalls, I always am zoning in on those points. Mom, how's that? Did we, did we find a fluoride toothpaste that we like to get off training toothpaste? Uh, how's the juice thing going? And it takes me back so they can hear it multiple times at each visit. So that's kind of my subtle way of like trying to hold the parent a little more accountable and following up with it so that I, I don't forget, you know, what those key risk factors were. So that's helpful too. Oh man, thousand percent. Cause listen, I mean, we're all doing 5 million things at once. So if you don't have those little, those little cheat codes in your life, <laughs> then it's not going to work. So I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so before we um, switch topics to Medicaid, the one last thing uh, I'm going to step back and when we were talking about your current position associateship, you're talking about having that good relationship with like your, uh, your employer. Um, and you said it's just one, a single dentist owner and an older doctor that kind of owns like a single owner and then everybody else is more of an associate. Was that right? Right. So there's one, one owner, uh, and then three associates, uh, two pedo, one GP. So yeah. Um, and he bought it from a, like it was a solo shop, uh, guy that had started it in the seventies or eighties. So he, it was, it's been a practice that's very well established. Okay. And I think that's been a big boon for us. Um, and even for me, like I, as an associate, like I rest on the shoulders of others, right. That came before me and set up something that works. And so my goal as an associate is to continue that and to, to build it as much as I can. And, and where I think that's, you know, reasonable, um, you know, and there's always challenges associated with that, but um, that's what's nice for working for a uh, like a small group practice, like what we are. You know, four doctors. I mean, we're all we're all very collegial, and like I like I mentioned earlier, my owner is somebody that uh, very much takes all of our opinions uh, to heart whenever he's making a decision, and that is. Boy, that's something that you just can't replace. I mean, that's I've worked with people that are great that way. I've had experiences where it didn't exactly work that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I feel really fortunate to be in the position that I'm in. So I guess if I was going to fr- phrase that as a question, what I wanted to kind of pick your brain on was, you know, from an associate standpoint in, in your relationship, I was going to maybe have you compare and contrast like the responsibilities you have as a good associate like a good long-term associate versus the um, task and responsibility that the owner has. Uh, Cause it seems like you get different relationships where like the associates that are really good end up almost acting like owners, even though they don't, you know, you, you aren't on paper and have the equity all bought in, but like you're, you're involved with hiring and firing. You're doing more like admin and managing the, all the aspects of the office, especially cause you said you kind of run 
your own, one of the practice locations that you have, you run. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, do you have, is there a good delineation of responsibilities between what you do as an associate and the owner doctor where you're kind of passing along things and he, and you get to go home at the end of the night and not have to do a lot of things, or are you pretty involved and feel like you actually are, are doing a lot of those things that like an owner should do? I, I'm not really phrasing that question well, but I'm just yeah. kind of No, no, no. I, I think, yeah, I think I understand what you're, what you're trying to, to talk about. I think the, so I think some of the challenges whenever you're an associate uh, is that, you know, you, you became an associate because you didn't necessarily want all of the challenges of being an owner, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I am very fortunate. I show up in the morning and I leave at night. And if I'm not on call, I'm not thinking about work as a general rule, right? Like, so if there's something that goes weird with the nitrous tanks, I make that known. And then I go home and I sleep like a baby, right? Like I don't have to worry about like, how am I going to find the money this month to make sure that we can cover that and cover all of the other things, right? So like, I don't have to worry about the financial part of anything, And that's a huge load off my shoulders, especially like for those of you that are owners that are listening, uh, I don't have to tell you that the pandemic was hard, right? And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, having, not having that on my plate for the past few years, uh, for me has been a lifesaver. Um, And so that was because I wasn't, I'm I'm always asked my opinion and I'm always asked uh, kind of, where should we be going? What's our direction? Like, I want your guys's input. I need your guys's input. I need your guys's buy-in to be able to do that. And in order to accomplish that, he does include us in the vast majority of decisions. He includes me on whether or not I like, if we are looking to make a move on the staffing side, I'm definitely involved in that. It's not a stand back and watch, watch things happen. Um, it's not necessarily like I have had to get in there and, and let one of my assistants go because that was my choice to do that. But my business manager was there with me to support me and coach me and do some of those things. So in, in some regards, it was kind of the best of both worlds, right? I get a lot of really great experience, but I'm not doing it by myself. Um, and so, and I mean, he, he respects us like we're co-owners. And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, is that as long as I get the respect level of being a true colleague, like a partner, even though I am not one, uh, then I'm willing to put in a little bit more because that respect level is there. Even though I might not have the same financial, like uh, both responsibilities or like benefit, um, if, you know, like because of how he treats us uh, emotionally and like as a team, that gives me the the power to say hey you know i'm i'm more than happy to go a little bit of the extra mile to make this work uh because i think that you value what i bring to this practice gotcha you know that's exactly the uh the thoughts that i was trying to get out of you so yeah you picked up exactly what i was laying down there so um i appreciate that but it's cool you know it seems like you guys have a good relationship and as you i'm sure know and probably can attest to you hear a lot of bad associateship stories and marriages that end in a bad divorce on the professional side so um um, it's cool to hear like if you find the right team and the right group of people like it can work out well and be very beneficial for everybody involved so it's cool to um it's cool to hear that. But uh, do you mind if we start? I wanted to maybe make a switch so we leave plenty of time to talk about this Medicaid stuff because this some interesting things yeah. happen in the state of Missouri on the uh, 
on the Medicaid side of things. And uh, just to give, maybe kick this off and give you perspective, um, I'm going to start with the story of when I heard this out. So I'm driving in the car to Montana with my wife and her family for a summer trip. And it's like a, you know, I don't know, whatever, 18 hour drive or some crazy amount out there. And, and we're on the road and we're driving and I got an email. Um, I think it was from Emily or somebody from Missouri, you know, our Missouri pediatric dentistry email thread that we had. And she, you know, she gave, sent this big email and at the bottom, she's like, oh, and by the way, like here are new fee increases for Missouri Medicaid. And it was very casual, like very nonchalant. And I pulled up that fee schedule and I about crap my pants. I was like, this can't be right. Like this is, this is what, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, cause I feel like I'm, you know, like Medicaid has never been the cool thing to do. Like, you know, you're a pediatric dentist, you're rural, you see the Medicaid. Cause like you mentioned, you just feel like it's a bit your responsibility to provide the care to those kids that need it. So I have always seen it. You make some money, but not a ton. And, and, but anyways, you get this fee schedule. It's like, Holy crap. Like some of these rates have doubled. Like this is, it's paying as well now as like a high paying, you know, private insurance, like really good reimbursement rates. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is way too good to be true. So I kind of just disregarded it. And then over time, more stuff's coming out that, excuse me, it's uh, it's legit. And you guys have made some progress and and the governor signed off on it. And I don't quite know where they found all these dollars from, but um, it sounds like everything's approved and the checks haven't come in. It's all getting retroactively paid. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you give the formal like introduction to all this, but, um, but just from my side, like it's pretty cool that, um, you know, that some of these changes like Missouri's sounds like is going to be a good example of a state that's been able to make some changes for Medicaid, some long overdue changes to get more people seeing these Medicaid kids provide higher reimbursement, get more providers on board and like catch these fees up to probably where they should have been, you know, incrementally increasing 20 years ago instead of, you know, vomiting a big, fee. you know, it's like they're finally playing catch up in a huge way. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's cool to see, but, um, I know you've been really involved in a lot of this on your end and you've been kind of keeping me up, up to, to speed and everything. But, um, I guess what's, what's some of the backstory on your end for what's, what you've had to do to kind of help advocate and put this together to make this, you know, this big fee increase happen. Sure. Um, well, so, I mean, a handful of things to start. Uh, I would say that just like every other state, Missouri uh, prior to 2022 was lagging behind in a huge way on Medicaid reimbursement. And as such, there weren't very many providers that were taking it. Pediatric dentists were taking it more often, of which I'm very proud of. And I'm very proud to have been a Medicaid provider even before any of this. Because, uh, And I'm not saying that people that sign on just because the fee schedule is better are bad people. Au contraire. Like we still, we need, we need everybody. Right. Uh, and listen, I mean, not everybody has the same mindset as me and I don't blame people for that. That's, that's not an issue. Um, but I mean, it was, it was woeful like it is in so many other States. And it was to the point that there were, uh, 700,000 Medicaid possible recipients for dental care in Missouri in 2018. And of those kids, only 200,000 had a visit of any kind, which meant that half a million kids in Missouri alone did not have any access to dental care whatsoever. And that is just flat out unacceptable. And mm. myself and a, and a lot of other people saw that number and said, man, there ha that has absolutely got to change. These kids are hurting. These kids are not going to school. These kids are having behavioral difficulties all because they're in pain, right? And so 
like we can be a part of that solution. And kind of like what I was talking about earlier, there's never going to be enough of me and my handpiece to fix this problem. And so when I was a dental student, I kind of committed myself to the idea that if you're going to make the most impact on the profession that you can make, it's got to be in the realm of policy. It's the only way to have the level of impact that I felt like I really wanted to have. Like, I want to, I want to change the whole thing for those of you that are game of Thrones fans. Like I want to break the effing wheel, man. Like I want to, I want to shatter that sucker. Like I don't, I want to see it gone. <laughs> and so that was really, that was, you know, that's, that's my long-term life goal. Like, my long-term life goal isn't necessarily to have a huge practice. My long-term life goal is to, to have things like Medicaid actually work because then the kids that need it are getting the care they need, right? So, so with that in mind, when I moved to Missouri in 2017, um, I was able to take over a job through the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry called the Public Policy Advocate. Every state has one. Uh, so every state has this person of which I am that person in Missouri that kind of coordinates legislative activities in the state. And so I kind of started feeling around as far as like, what are the relationships I need to foster? Who are the people I need to get to know so that I can tell these kids stories? And uh, it led me to the Missouri Coalition for Oral Health. It led me to getting to know the state dental director. Uh, and those relationships then propelled me to have more like conversations with people. Um, and now kind of to the meat and potatoes of how we got the Medicaid like fee increase itself. So when the American Rescue Plan was passed uh, shortly after or like after the pandemic got started, I was like a $1.9 trillion infusion into the economy. And a big part of that was money that was earmarked for shoring up Medicaid, right? Uh, and so the state of Missouri uh, had a couple of things happen around the same time. Uh, for those of you that aren't policy nerds, I apologize. I'm going to get into the weeds just a little bit, but not too, not too deep, I promise. Uh, but so I knew the state dental director and he and I were having conversations about like what like it would mean to have a meaningful Medicaid rate increase. And we were having that before that money came out. Uh, the state health director got canned, like right in the middle of the pandemic in Missouri. And so when that person left, the governor's chief of staff came down from the governor's office and took that job for three months. And during those three months, the state dental director and I would have these conversations about how we can, like what these kids are facing, what actually needs to happen in order to get people to take Medicaid as far as reimbursement rates and how our practices work and we can't cost shift like hospitals and all those kinds of things. And so then that information all went to the governor's chief of staff. And then he went back to the governor's office after three months in the interim job. He took all that data with him right at the start of the budget process. And so when the governor's budget came out, we were being told that, hey, there's going to be a, a meaningful increase in Medicaid rates. And for most people that are involved in policy, that's usually meaning like a two or 3% increase. And everyone's like, oh, isn't that great? And then we're kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, it's better than a kick in the pants, but it's not great. you mm -hmm. know. And so, um, so we were like, well, you know, like, so we were trying to like kind of work with the state, but they weren't really telling us much. And then they released the governor's budget. And this was my almost almost wet myself moment. Uh, and 
the governor proposed an 80% of usual and customary fee uh, for Medicaid. And I mean, I almost passed out. I mean, that was, it was astounding. It was better than any of us could have ever hoped for. And I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, right? I was like, who do we need to lobby on this to make sure it gets passed? Who do we need to be talking to? I'll send emails. I'll make phone calls. I'll show up in Jeff City on the weekend. Like, what you tell me what I got to do, and I will do it. And everybody basically said, okay, uh, so what we're going to do is nothing. And I said, excuse me? And they said, well, here's the deal. We, we are in a supermajority Republican state. And so we have a supermajority in the House, we have a supermajority in the Senate, and we have a governor that's a Republican. That's Missouri politics. There's no way around that. And so the only thing that was going to tank this deal was a lot of press about a bunch of Republicans funding an entitlement program. Mm -hmm. And so we basically just had to can it and say, let's just let this fly under the radar uh, we had our dental day at the Capitol for the Missouri Dental Association, and nobody said a thing. I mean, it was the strangest advocacy bid I've ever been a part of in my whole life. <laughs> Everything was behind the scenes. Uh, nothing happened in front of in front of the camera, so to speak, uh, and it all just flew, flowed downstream until it got signed by the governor, and here we are. Uh, and so, I think that's one of the really interesting things about advocacy is that it's never the same thing twice. Uh, and it was, I mean, decades worth of relationships and I kind of showed up at the end and, and helped a little bit, I hope, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, it was, it was the effort of, of hundreds of people over decades of, of service, uh, to get, to get this where we're, where we're at right now. So it, was it the same Republican governor for those who aren't in Missouri is the one that signed it? Cause in general, you think of Republican House, Republican governor, Republicans generally don't like signing entitlement things you had, had, had talked about. But it, it, I was surprised that the governor, like that, that all got passed and got signed. It seems like something ripe for getting shot down. Like they're just, you know, so I, I'm impressed that it got passed. But was there any anything else that went on that allowed that to get passed that we didn't know about? Because it's just so strange that it's such a quiet thing that got passed, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the bottom line for a state like Missouri is that um, if, excuse me, if it gets into the governor's budget in the first place, then you're almost, you're almost golden. You've, you've, you've received your golden ticket. It's not like the federal government where the president releases their budget and it's basically a huge wish, wish list of things that are never going to happen. Right. I see. So okay. the president's budget on, on the federal level is just, is that's, that's a, a Pollyanna version of what the party and the president would like. Whereas in the state, particularly the state of Missouri, the, the governor's budget is, I mean, I mean, very fine tuned. And importantly in Missouri uh, and in a, in a fair amount of other states, we have a constitutional amendment that says that the, the budget must be balanced. Right. And so we cannot spend more money than we make. We cannot go into a deficit. And a lot of states do this. Uh, and so the governor's budget is very, very, you know, very exact. And so to get it into the budget, if the governor didn't propose it to be in there in the first place, that is next to impossible. And so the budget process really happens with advocacy with the governor's office. And so that's where we had this like amazing kind of chance of fate <laughs> that the governor's chief of staff ended up 
being the state health director interim for a few months and had the opportunity to listen uh, to the state dental director and people like myself and a lot of others that were saying all the same things, right? And, and so that was continuity of messaging was super important, right place, right time. A bunch of money from the feds didn't hurt. <laughs> right. So because, you know, normally Medicaid's, you know, p- half state and half federal, did, did we didn't really have to have the federal approval prior to doing this. The government put it in its budget. The government signed off. Then we kind of knew, okay, that's almost for sure the federal government's going to back or, or match these Medicaid dollars, or it was the federal government not really yeah, part so, of so, Yeah. So, I mean, Medicaid is administered by the states and in a large part funded by the, the feds, right? Uh, not all, but in large part especially when big bills like the American Rescue Plan are, packed, are, are passed, right? And so there's, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of your listeners that are for and against, you know, I'm not really here to talk about that per se. Um, but the fact that that money existed is, is why we were able to do this. The state of Washington got, a, got an increase. Uh, there were a handful of other states that were really able to get some meaningful uh, increases because of this money. And so the time is right for that kind of advocacy. So if you're thinking, gosh, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see something like that in my state, uh, that money's out there, right? Uh, and it just needs to have the right advocate, right? There's certainly no harm in asking. <laughs> and so if you're in a state that isn't Missouri, that doesn't have a, a recent increase, I mean, the the iron is, I would say, still relatively hot because that money's going to be around for the next uh, three years at least, uh, if not longer than that, depending on how that all gets reauthorized. Um, and the nice thing about the Medicaid budget for dental in Missouri is that even though we got this ginormous fee increase, we're still only a fraction, like less than five. Per, well, I think we're less. I'm not. I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but it's less than five percent of the Medicaid budget is dental, not the mm-hmm. state budget, the Medicaid budget. And so less than 5%. And so if they're going back, because that the number one question I got once the rates were increased is, well, aren't they just going to cut it next year? And while that opportunity is always there, that opportunity is also always there for all of your PPOs, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, that you participate with and you're in network with. So, so in reality, for me, being a Medicaid provider is not any different than just being in network with a different insurer that just happens to be the government, right? And so now that the fees are actually reasonable and not just reasonable, but very good, um, I think if you kind of take the whole like uh, kind of boogeyman aspect out of the government being the thing and you just kind of treat it like a PPO, then I think you're going to be in a much better headspace about kind of how to approach it. Yeah. Well, Aaron, what if, uh, you know, you were saying if you're in another state, what if somebody's listening in a different state, whether it be Republican or Democratic state, whatever it is, and and the Medicaid reimbursement is not very good and they see a lot of Medicaid and say, man, it'd be awesome if my, you know, Medicaid fees could do like Missouri does and get a, you know, almost a twice over bump. Like, are there things that individuals can do on a small scale together to kind of, cause if, if I listen to this podcast, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, man, that sounds awesome, but I don't know much about advocacy. Um, do you have any advice for, yeah. for somebody listening? Like what are some things you can do simple or either, whether it be big or small to try to help make those changes in their own States? Sure. Um, 
I mean, the first thing is that unless you're in a huge state like New York or Florida or Texas or California, um, your pedo chapter is probably not like not big enough to have a vast amount of resources. Right. So like the legislative uh, like advocacy portion of the Missouri Academy of Pediatric Dentistry is just me. (laughs) And so, you know, you don't have to do that. Like what I do in order to leverage like my passion and my desire is I partner with other groups. So like I always make sure I'm going to all the Missouri Dental Association lobby days. I always make sure I'm going to our Missouri Coalition for Health uh, lobby days. Like so I'm, I'm piggybacking a lot. Right. And when I piggyback, then I have an opportunity to tell the stories of our families. I can absolutely guarantee that every single listener of this podcast has a story, a heartbreaking, unfortunately, but a heartbreaking story about a patient that if you really thought about it, if you told it well, would make the listener cry, right? We all know which story it is. When, we, when, when you hear me say that, you all know the patient that I'm talking about, right? And the family that I'm talking about. That's the story that people need to hear. It's not anything crazy. You don't need to know numbers. You don't need to know uh, population statistics. You don't need to know like all the crazy stuff that uh, people like me that get into the weeds end up knowing because we're nerds. Like what you need to know is the human impact of what we do every day because every single person that's representing people in their community are going to understand those stories. And those are the stories that we're uniquely positioned to tell because these kids don't have a voice. These kids aren't going to go to Jeff or to Jefferson City, our state capital, or to Washington D.C. or to Lexington or to you know uh, Kentucky, like uh, you know wherever. It doesn't matter. Like they're not going to show up, right? We have to tell their stories for them, and that's what we can all do. Uh, and that it, it's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I guess let's like look forward here and, and a lot of people who are listening, aren't going to know the logistical way that this works, uh, for Missouri, but the cliff notes version of it is this got passed, um, starting July 1st, which is the start of the Missouri fiscal year, that fee increase went into effect, especially if you're already a Medicaid provider. So you, I just keep seeing Medicaid kids as normal. And then takes a while, you know, there's a lag period, which we're still kind of in of getting all the systems caught up. Um, and the one thing I wanted to touch on was like how managed care organizations play into this, but we're in this kind of weird, you know, adolescent phase of like trying to get everybody up to speed, get all these new, um, fee schedules entered in, and then they're going to retroactively pay the increased fee back to that July 1st, when we started seeing kids at these higher rates. So we should get bulk checks and get it entered. But I know that there's been some concern with Missouri having three managed care plans. Some states have one, some states have five, 10, 20. Um, but I know that there's been, from what I've heard, just some concern over, you know, will will the managed care organizations play nice with this? Will they honor these fee schedules? And I've sent some emails and the answer I've gotten is, is yes so far. But, um, uh, you know, any, any input to like, how managed care organizations, maybe they don't have as much of effect as we thought, but do you uh, anticipate there being any problems when we see Medicaid increases like this? Well, so I think anytime you see any kind of regulatory change, uh, you're going to have little communication snafus, right? And so, I mean, Cliff Notes version, like you said, of how this works, uh, just because the budget passes on July 1st doesn't mean that we get that fee in our office the next day. 
right? It has to go through a process with uh, Centers for Medicaid in D.C. Uh, called a state plan amendment that has to get approved. That got approved. We submitted it in July. It got approved in late September. Uh, and then a month after that, the state run portion of Medicaid uh, started reimbursing at the higher level. And then they're going to like give a lump sum repayment. Mm-hmm. The managed care companies did not start even entering the new fee schedule into their system until the state portion of the plan had it fully integrated and entered. So you had like a two month lag while the med, like where the managed care organizations are not doing anything at all because they're just waiting for the state. Right. Um, and then you have some people for some of those uh, managed care organizations that are not always telling their providers the right information. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so you know, we had a handful of instances of that. And that's where having someone where you can email, whether it's me as the public policy advocate or somebody that you trust at your state dental association, that you can say, hey, I thought this was going to work like this. And that's not what I'm hearing. Right. So then I was able to take those concerns to our state dental director. We got those things ironed out and everything's fine. Right. So like it's all about just staying calm and making sure that you like just move things up the chain so that you get the appropriate people involved and get, get issues taken care of uh, before things get weird. Uh, but the bottom line is that, yes, the managed care organizations are all going to play nicely. Um, it, you know, I, I have heard from, like I've been on a phone call like with the Medicaid Advisory Committee uh, through the state of Missouri that each of those managed care organizations are now getting those fees implemented. Uh, and we should start to see those probably by either the end of the year or the beginning of the year. And then instead of a lump sum payment, we're going, they're going to go back and reprocess those claims. And then they'll just kind of feed rolling checks back to the providers as they get processed. Yep. That was my understanding too. When I heard back from, uh, um, some of the, uh, some of the managed care, um, representatives as well, but, um, you know, as a, as a, in a summarizing point here, one of the things, the first things that I did, um, after hearing all this go through, and I, I just did this a couple weeks ago, but I've always kind of, I've been a very active member of like by active, I mean, I pay my dues and I participate in AAPD and, um, the Missouri Academy, uh, of pediatric dentistry, but I've never really been super involved and I've let my dues lapse on like the ADA, Missouri Dental Association, Greater St. Louis Dental Society. Not because like I'm opposed. I, I thought they were a good org- set of organizations, but when I was doing a startup, the budget was really tight. And I was like, I don't really have a thousand bucks laying around that I just want to throw. I, I'd rather put my due, dues money, due money's budget more towards the pediatric related side of things. Well, um, I ended up, you know, after this all went through, I was like, you know, I got to give some credit to um, the people working behind the scenes, especially like at the Missouri, um, um, like the um, Missouri Dental Association. So I ended up going back and I repaid all my dues and I got up to speed on all that stuff. And I figured that's my way of like maybe saying thank you and like, you know, uh, acknowledging all those organizations help for making that happen. So maybe it's a very, very tiny little sliver, but I feel like if I get to reap at least some of the benefits of some of these higher fee increases, like the least I can do is, um, you know, give, give some, some of my dollars to the organizations that made that possible. So it's a small little thing people can do. I feel like. 
Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's something that, I mean, listen, especially, you know, for those of us that are, you know, in the under 40 crowd, right, listening to this podcast, I mean, dealing with dental school debt, dealing with practice debt, dealing with your house, right, dealing with having kids, dealing with, I mean, there's, listen, I mean, like life seems like an endless money pit, right? And so I get it. I mean, that makes total sense to me. And sometimes you do need to make uh, decisions that maybe you wouldn't prefer, like not paying your ADA dues. Um, but I, I, man, I really applaud you for, for getting back on the horse because um, I'll tell you right now that I personally, as an advocate, wouldn't have any of the resources that I have if I wasn't also partnering with the Missouri Dental Association, right? And the the more of us that are members, people like me that do actually like going and talking to legislators and do like getting in front of uh, in front of people to talk about this kind of stuff, it gives us a huge amount of credibility to say, hey, we represent the vast majority of dentists in the state or in the country or wherever or in the city so that like if I'm going to advocate for a policy, I have... I have gravitas. I have, I have talons. I have, I have reasons that they would want to believe me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's all of you, right? Uh, if you never want to get out in front of a camera and do what I do, or, you know, talk with, talk with people like I do, that's okay. That is not a problem. Um, but it doesn't work if I'm just representing me. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's where organized dentistry is really powerful. Yeah. If, um, you know, I, I'm, starting to kind of like work towards wrapping this up because I'm sure there's going to be a couple people that listen to this that, you know, are not, are not like me that don't, you know, I don't say, I don't, not like I don't feel comfortable doing these things, but it takes a certain personality and a special type of person. Like I alluded to early in the podcast, such as yourself to spearhead these things, um, and, and just a special skill set. But if there's that type of person listening, I want to definitely make sure I, I had you give your contact information so that there's going to be a couple of people listening, maybe somebody in Oklahoma who's like, man, I want to get my Medicaid reimbursements higher. I've, I think I could work with the right people to at least make a little headway. But like, I need, uh, I need somebody who knows what they're doing in my corner. Like, can you give some pointers and contact information so that people could get in touch with you to maybe help work on things in their state so we can get more kids access to care? Oh, man. Uh, absolutely. And I will talk about this till, uh, I am blue in the face. So like if any of you have questions or, uh, think, man, this is cool stuff and I want to figure out how I can get involved. Like I would love to, to chat with you about that. Uh, my email is pretty simple. It's Aaron.booman at Gmail. So, uh, I like to keep things pretty straightforward. Um, and cell phone, same thing, 605-222-9805. You can text or email me or call me anytime. Like, uh, like I said, my, my biggest thing is that if we can, if we can get all these kids healthy, like man, then my career has been a success. Yeah, for sure. It's, and, uh, by kind of closing, like I, I know you've said there's, there's those couple stories you have, those sad stories of, of kids that like genuinely needed it. I have that conversation in my head to myself every day where for every person that it feels like they don't really value your time and they're on, on their phones the whole time, not paying attention to your dietary counseling and stuff. There's another parent that's like, man, this is just like a good solid family. These kids are great. Like they just happen to meet the income thresholds. They need a good dentist. These kids have Medicaid and like, it's those kids, those good interactions that I remind myself, like, this is why I got into pediatric dentistry and we do what we do. Cause there's a lot of really good kids out there that 
wouldn't have access to a good dentist if they didn't have these resources in Medicaid. So you kind of just have to remind yourself that because as, as you can attest, it's there's a plenty of offices that don't see Medicaid and plenty of startups that think, man, I don't know if I want to see Medicaid getting going, but it's nice that if everybody can do kind of their little part and see some of those good families, like it goes um, a long way. So like, I, I don't think I'd ever practice personally myself, not for everybody, but I feel like if I didn't see some degree of Medicaid, my job would be boring and I feel a little bit less fulfilled with what I do. So helps me sleep a little bit better at night, making me feel like, you know, you and I are doing the right things for sure. Yep. Thousand percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And I really, I really appreciate you having me on, uh, to chat about it. Cause I think it's something that, uh, very often we just, it's easy to forget. Right. And I think it's, uh, it's something that I think if we all think back to when we got started doing peds, um, it was really to help these kids that really didn't have the access. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and so, you know, remember that about yourself. And I think that's uh, going to lead you to a good place. Yep. Absolutely. Aaron, it was a pleasure. I appreciate you staying up late. We had to get the get the kids to bed, so we did a, a little bit of a later one here. And I'm sure you and I both have a a full day of patience tomorrow. But um, I'm glad we found a time to to knock this one out. So I appreciate you coming on, having a beer with me, and everything for sure. You bet. Thank you, Casey. Right, cheers. Yep. Cheers. Have a good night. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Brews and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.